This time of global quarantine has been an opportunity for a lot of personal introspection. It's quite out of the ordinary to see so many people wearing masks in public. Philosophically, theologically, you could argue that everyone is wearing an invisible mask to hide the reality of our sinful nature. For Christians, the question is, where do our loyalties lie? Do we long for and cleave to the world's systems, or do we perceive that we've been set apart by God, consecrated in this world and in the ages to come? The word quarantine derives from a Latin word meaning 40. Originally, it referred to a detention period of 40 days of isolation imposed upon ships, persons, animals, or plants on arrival at ports if they were suspected of carrying contagious disease. Many prophetic believers see great significance in the global quarantines that took place during Passover and Holy Week and are continuing now between Passover and the Hebrew festival of Shavuot, also known in the Christian world as Pentecost. Some believe that during this time of reflection, God has been giving an altar call worldwide for people to return to Him and to acknowledge His Messiah while there's yet time before events that might trigger the Great Tribulation. I believe one of the clarion calls for all believers at this time is to recover all that the enemy has been stealing. The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Here at the Jerusalem Channel, we work hard to keep you informed and up to date on prophetic end time events in the Holy Land. But we also see so many great humanitarian needs. And that's why your support is helping to keep this ministry lifting up the name of the Lord in the Middle East. One of our most recent projects was to donate and dedicate a fully equipped ambulance to Israel's National Volunteer Rescue Service. The ambulance is available to assist everyone, Jews, Muslims, Christians, and yes, even tourists who might need medical assistance. So thanks for being a part of the Jerusalem Channel by your gifts through our website or through our ministry addresses in the USA and the United Kingdom. Please help us to be a blessing to all the people of the Holy Land. Shalom, I'm Christine Dark. The practice of quarantine began during the 14th century in an effort to protect coastal cities from plague epidemics. Ships arriving in Venice from infected ports were required to sit at anchor for 40 days before landing. The word quarantine was derived from the Latin meaning 40 days. A presidential executive order lists cholera, diphtheria, tuberculosis, plague, smallpox, yellow fever, and viral fevers such as Ebola, and severe acute respiratory syndromes all to be quarantined. Many other illnesses such as measles, mumps, rubella, and chickenpox aren't contained in the list, but they also continue to pose a 
public health risk. That's why quarantine station personnel must respond to reports of sick travelers aboard airplanes, ships, and at border crossings. Now, spiritually speaking, there's great significance to 40 days of quarantine this spring. When people worldwide have been confined to our homes, affording many of us time to reflect, to pray, and to seek God. 40, the meaning of quarantine, happens to be a significant number in this Bible. The flood in Noah's day lasted 40 days. Moses lived on the backside of the desert for 40 years, and Moses spent 40 days on Mount Sinai twice, and he received the Ten Commandments there. The exodus of the Israelites lasted 40 years. Jesus fasted for 40 days, and Jesus also ascended to heaven on the 40th day, that's very significant, after his resurrection. He interrupted the counting of the Omer, the grain offering. Well, theologians say 40 represents the time of preparing a person or people for a mission or to make a fundamental change. People of faith are believing something significant is going to happen during or after these sacred days. It's certainly a time diligently to pursue the enemy in prayer and to trust God for the recovery of everything that satanic forces have taken. So I'm given a call for this time, and it's to recover all according to our faith in prayer. In the Bible, when David and his army returned home to find everything and everyone had been taken captive by the enemy, he asked God two important questions. Should I pursue the enemies and will I be able to overtake them? And God answered, pursue, you will overtake and you will recover all. Now this episode is recorded in 1 Samuel in the Hebrew Bible, chapter 30. What have you lost to the enemy? Family, finances, a job, our economy? Let's pray into this and then with God's help, let's determine to recover all. Because the days in which we're living are harvest time, physically and spiritually. Now the scriptures tell us that twice for emphasis, David recovered all. And so this is the time to retake everything that the enemy has stolen from us. Actually, and this is so amazing, during this time there are 50 days between the resurrection of Jesus, which occurred on the first fruits holiday of Passover, leading up to Pentecost, a Greek word which means 50. The seven weeks to Pentecost were the harvest season. And these seven weeks between Passover and Pentecost, in which we're passing, are called the counting and waving of the Omar, when sheaves of grain were waved before the Lord. An Omer is a Hebrew unit of dry measure of grain. Now the first day of counting, which was Resurrection Sunday, was called the early first fruits of the harvest. The final day is called the latter first fruits, or Pentecost by Christians and Shavuot, meaning weeks in the Hebrew Bible. Pentecost is the day that the Holy Spirit descended upon believers with the sound of a mighty rushing wind and tongues of fire manifesting in Jerusalem's upper room. 
and that's recorded in Acts chapter 2. Many theologians also believe that the rapture, the catching away of the believers, could happen at this time, at Pentecost, Shavuot, which would be symbolic of gathering in the fullness of the Gentiles into the church. But other Bible scholars believe that the period between Pentecost and the fall Levitical festivals represents the ingathering period. Therefore, many also speculate that the Feast of Trumpets is quite possibly the prophetic day and hour that no man knows, possibly to fulfill the rapture, because the Feast of Trumpets can only begin when a new moon is sighted. And depending upon the weather, the new moon is not always so easy to sight. Sometimes it takes two days to sight because of something that happened in recent years, dust storms that obscure the sky. Thus, trumpets qualifies potentially as a day or hour that nobody knows for sure when Jesus could come for his own. Interesting thought. Well, the resurrected Jesus interrupted the Omer count on the 40th day when he ascended to heaven. That means he left 10 days of Omer counting unfulfilled. The New Testament says that when the day of Pentecost had fully come, in other words, when the 50 days were completed, the Holy Spirit was poured out on those assembled behind locked doors. Just like the original Passover, when all Israelites were locked down in their homes in Egypt, protected by the blood of the Passover lamb. It's so fascinating that this year, between Resurrection Sunday and Pentecost, we're still homebound, just as the apostles were locked in their upper room, awaiting the Holy Spirit. Well, it's our tendency to want to fast forward with our lives, but during the coronavirus, it seems that God has deliberately pushed a pause button on our lives. But we can be very active in our prayer closets. Despite the emergency, for many, it's been a blessing to be slowed down and to hear what God is saying. After all, we're living in a time of unprecedented revelation. When the prophet Daniel predicted, many scriptures will be unsealed. For example, in Daniel chapter 12, he prayed, Oh my God, what shall be the end of these prophetic things? And he was told, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall be purified, cleansed, and refined by trials, but the wicked shall continue to do wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise are going to understand. Hallelujah. So a vitally important question is, are you and I amongst the wise who are going to understand the times? Are we open to the unsealing of end time mysteries? Is this period of waiting on God such a time? Well, I love Amos 3, 7, a verse that says, surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without first revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. Since the 50 days between Passover and Shavuot are a sacred time set apart in scripture, surely the counting of the Omer is a concept to study. After all, 
all of the Lord's post-resurrection appearances occurred during the days of the Omer count. That within itself is significant. For example, on the first day of the Omer, the risen Jesus, Yeshua, appeared to Mary Magdalene in the resurrection garden, and he appeared also to some of the other female disciples, as well as to Simon Peter. He appeared to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and later that evening, which was the second day of the Omer, he appeared to the disciples. And on the eighth day of the Omer account, he appeared to the disciples along with Thomas, who had been absent previously, and so forth. And on the 40th day of the Omer, he ascended into heaven, but he commanded his followers not to leave Jerusalem until the promise of his father, the descent of the Holy Spirit, was fulfilled during Shavuot, Pentecost. To many believers, Omer counting is a totally foreign concept. Yet it was a practice that Jesus and his disciples knew and understood. The daily counting is intended to remind us of the link between Passover, which commemorates the Exodus, and Shavuot, which commemorates the giving of the Torah and also the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the church in Jerusalem. Over the past decades, followers of Yeshua have been discovering that all of the Levitical feasts of the Lord in the Bible have deep meanings concerning Messiah. After all, the New Testament is concealed in the Hebrew Scriptures, and the Hebrew Scriptures are revealed in the New Testament. Now, let's look further into this fascinating matter. Over in the New Testament, in the Brit Hadashah, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 13, the Apostle Paul refers to the coming of the Lord Jesus. The word coming in the New Testament Greek is the parousia, which literally means the presence being alongside of. In the fascinating book, The Miracle of Time, author Frank Payne poses an interesting question. If we're at the culmination of church history, surely we should ask whether the Bible holds any clear information concerning the order of events when the rapture, the catching away of true believers will take place. And notably, the New Testament speaks of resurrections, Paul said, each in his order. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, there is an order to resurrection. He said Messiah was raised as the first of the harvest, that all who belong to Messiah will be raised when he comes back. When Paul described the translation or rapture of believers in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I want to underscore something that happens that we may have not noticed previously. Paul expressed an undefined space of time between the descent of the Lord, the resurrection of the dead believers, and the catching up of the alive believers. He wrote, Jesus will descend from heaven with a shout, with a wake-up shout, and with the trumpet of God, at which moment the dead in Christ will rise, Paul said, first. Then, in some translations say, afterwards, we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds. Wayman's translation reads, 
the dead in Christ will arise first. Afterwards, we who are alive and are still on earth will be caught up in their company amid clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall be with the Lord forevermore and so forth. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So here's a question to examine. How much time can elapse between the resurrection of the dead and Messiah, which happens first, and afterwards, when we who are still alive will also be caught up? Most Bible scholars and believers have just assumed that all of these events will happen together simultaneously in the twinkling of an eye, in a nanosecond. But if there's a pause obscured in that verse, we have to consider the blessed possibility that for a period of time, however short, possibly, we who are alive and part of the bride of Messiah may see those formerly dead resurrected saints and the Lord in the same manner that he appeared to his disciples at various times when he walked through walls, when he appeared and then vanished up to 40 days of the counting of the Omer after his resurrection. Now, what gives me pause to think is verses that I have frequently pondered in the Gospel of Matthew, and I've only found this in the Gospel of Matthew. I've hardly ever heard anybody preach on it. Chapter 27 and verses 52 to 53. And here we read that after the Lord's resurrection, many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of their graves. And they went into the holy city and they appeared unto many. Imagine what it was like in Jerusalem at the resurrection of Jesus. Well, there was an earthquake and saints arising from their graves as first fruits from the dead. And they appeared to many, startling them for sure. From the perspective of counting the Omer, those 50 days between the holidays, the coming of the Lord in the rapture is the second and still unfulfilled part of Messiah's resurrection. First part of his resurrection was perfectly fulfilled when he, the head of the church, was raised up at the beginning of the seven weeks that lead up to Shabbat, the Pentecost festival. Upon arising from the dead, one of the first things that Jesus did was to wrap up the napkin that had been wound around his head and he neatly put it aside in a place by itself. Author Frank Payne in The Miracle of Time suggests that the Lord's action of folding away the napkin was a prophetic act to symbolize that he, the head of the church, had finished with death and that the church, which is his body, was figured in the shroud and would come later. Rabbi Shaul, better known as the Apostle Paul, who was a Pharisee of Pharisees, participated every year in the Levitical festivals, including the Feast of First Fruits. And that's why Paul declared in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, Now is Messiah risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. You know, we can't appreciate that statement unless we know that First Fruits was a festival within the Passover week that Jesus perfectly fulfilled. But Paul, being a Hebrew of Hebrews, understood that. The harvest has special reference to the church, which is the body of Messiah, springing forth from that one grain of wheat, Jesus himself, which fell into the ground and died. 
The seven weeks to Pentecost began with a sheaf of the first fruit and ended with the bread of the first fruits being waved, ascending upwards to the Lord. The Levitical feasts are no longer a mystery when we know that Jesus has literally fulfilled Passover and first fruits. You see, he died sacrificially and he fell into the ground as the grain of wheat as he had prophesied in John chapter 12, saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So in the resurrection, Jesus, the bread of life, bore much fruit. Let's go back to the early resurrection morning to examine the account, this time as reported in John chapter 20. As soon as Mary Magdalene recognized the Lord and heard him call her by name, her first reaction was to fall down at his feet, as the other women later did at the empty tomb. But at this point in time, Jesus couldn't allow Mary Magdalene to touch him. Why? Because he explained that he had not yet ascended to his father. But within an hour or so later, he does permit the other women to touch him. The reason is that Jesus and the Old Testament resurrected saints who were raised up from the bosom of Abraham at the time of his resurrection, they constituted the sheaf of the first fruit harvest. And they had to be presented first to God. After all, according to Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 14, it was forbidden for anyone to touch or to eat the new harvest until the first sheaf had been offered to God. Furthermore, this holy wave offering was to be presented in the morning. And it's no coincidence that Jesus, the bread of life, ascended to his father at the hour of the morning sacrifice. And it was from this hour of the first fruits presentation to God that the days to Pentecost began to be counted. And here's such a beautiful correlation. It's carefully recorded in Acts chapter 2 in the New Testament that it was at this very hour at 9 o'clock in the morning that the Holy Spirit was outpoured when the day of Pentecost had fully come. You see, no detail is missed by God. Now, going back to resurrection morning, Jesus ascended to his Father as the first fruits of a mighty harvest throughout history that will soon be completed. Multitudes of souls at this present time are being gathered from every nation. Then, after being presented to the Father, Jesus returned to the resurrection garden and greeted the other women who had come to visit the tomb. This time, he didn't forbid the women to touch him because the first fruits had been presented to the Father, and the harvest period had begun. For 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples at certain times, behind closed doors, or in the open air, on the road to Emmaus, or on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, where he cooked breakfast and ate with his disciples. And on one occasion, he appeared to more than 500 followers at once, Paul recorded these post-resurrection appearances in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But here's an infinitely fascinating fact. Let me remind you that by ascending to heaven after 40 days, Jesus interrupted the daily Omer account after 40 days. He ascended to heaven, leaving his disciples, but he promised that he would return in like manner in the clouds as they had seen him go. 
So has the full Omer count been on hold while Jesus has been absent from the earth? Will the remaining 10 days somehow be completed? Frank Payne speculates in his book, The Miracle of Time, that the remaining 10 days of the Omer count must yet be fulfilled when the same post-resurrection conditions are restored. Is this biblically possible? Well, God is very accurate in his types and shadows. It's possible that the graves of believers who died in Messiah will first be emptied at the sudden shout and trumpet call, the appearing of the Lord. And then afterwards, during the relatively short space of time when Jesus is present with both the resurrected saints and the living believers on earth, at the last trump, we shall be changed incorruptible in order to journey into the heavenlies. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And what would happen after this order of resurrections at the time of the rapture? Well, redemption chronology on earth would continue, but centered this time not around the church, which will have been completed, but around the restored nation of Israel. You see, God is reviving Jerusalem and Israel before the Lord's millennial reign on earth. So these are momentous days. And if you're not sure if you're ready for these end time events, or if you're not sure that you really know the Lord, I urge you now, while there's still some time, perhaps while there's some time, because today is a day of salvation, I urge you to call upon the Lord Jesus, Yeshua. The Bible promises that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Could the final 10 days of the Omer account be transcended to the 10 days of awe between a future Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur in the fall instead of the spring? Well, that's prophetic speculation, but something I know for sure is that Jesus is the Savior of the world, and it's necessary to know Him and to learn in this boot camp called life to reign and rule with Messiah now. You see, the Apostle Paul instructed us in his epistle to the Ephesians that God has made us alive together with Messiah, and he's raised us up with him and made us to sit with him even now in heavenly places. That, believe it or not, is the present position legally and positionally of believers to be experienced here on earth, that legally we are seated now with Messiah far above all principalities and demons. Our legal position in Messiah is not just something in the future. And God has put all things in subjection under Messiah's feet. We have many enemies facing us, but in prayer, we should be pursuing them and recovering all that's been stolen. There are many seemingly unsurmountable problems, but they technically are under Messiah's feet. And we sit now in heavenly places in Messiah Yeshua because we are connected to him, our head. I want you to know that the final sacrifice for sins has been provided freely, voluntarily by Jesus on the cross. There's no other sacrifice for sins. If you turn your back on Jesus, God forbid, he said you'll die in your sins. It's so dangerous to die in the excrement of your own sins. That would be like living in a major epidemic without having any immunity without having a face mask, gloves, hand sanitizer, no vaccine. But God has given us 
the antidote. We have the covering of the precious blood of Jesus over the doorposts of our hearts when we believe in him. The Bible says we were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus, the spotless lamb of God without blemish or defect. And I rejoice that the good news of the gospel also includes healing. Now, in the meantime, I know this is a lot to digest today, but feel free to contact me through the social media or through our website, exploits.tv, where you can sign up to receive our weekly updates. And don't forget to download our free Jerusalem Channel app. Until next time, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Dark, Maranatha, and Shalom.